Support for this podcast comes from CLR Clear. Fight back against annoying household messes with CLR Clear. CLR Clear is tough on dirt and grime all around your home, and we're not just talking about calcium, lime, and rust. They have an entire lineup of cleaning products for your kitchen, bathroom, garage, and more. Visit clrbrands.com to learn more. CLR Clear, fight the clean fight. Eileen Fisher designs simple clothes to make your life easier. Timeless pieces in high-quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and more positive impact in the world. Visit EileenFisher.com and use offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Aminatu So. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda... Science shows menstruation brain is not a thing. Obituaries for a couple of inspiring women. R. Kelly's predatory behavior and the people who enable it. Plus, harassment in space science, a blacklist for sexist tech investors, and the new movie, Girls Trip. Hi, Ann Friedman. Hey, Aminati So, how's it going? Girl, pretty good. A little tired, but good. I know. We we had kind of a marathon week doing our live shows. I I feel like I have a whole new respect for touring musicians now. I'm like, wow, getting up and doing it every night. <laughs> yeah. It's not play. Uh, it's work. <laughs> but it's also like it was super fun, you know? Yeah, I know. It's like a, it's a hard thing to be like, oh, that was super fun. And also I have nothing left to give. I've seriously just been like reading books and watching TV and like getting stoned and eating homemade food like since since then. <laughs> it's a like, true story. I've been like yeah. eating hummus and watching. I've like seen every episode of American Greed since. It's insane. Ugh, your safe space, American Greed. <laughs> you know it. Okay. What are we talking about today? I don't know. What do you want to talk about? Light or heavy? Let's start light. Tell me one good good thing. Tell me okay. one light, chill thing. Okay. Well, I'm I'm gonna hit you with well, okay, it's a science daily headline, which means it's not really that sciencey, you know, like they like summarize research that real journals do in like the most um headline friendly way. But <laughs> I gotta tell you, okay, this is this is the headline I read. Menstruation doesn't change how your brain works, period. <laughs> which <laughs> Can I tell you? I mean, like, okay, here, and let me read you the summary. The summary actually says this in, a, in like, sciencey vibes. It says, quote, it has long been assumed that your period affects your brain's performance. Who is assuming this? Okay. A, you know, a, I, but you know how you feel like you're not in your right mind when the, when the cramps hit so bad? But that's I, like, like, I get it. I get it. I get it. But it's also, it's nuts. I mean, okay, so I... I agree that it can be distracting to have a period, but I've never once thought of it as like my brain is different. I'm seriously like, oh, I'm distracted by the gnawing pain in my abdomen as if a baby wolverine is trying to get out. It's not like my brain is screwed <laughs> up. It's like my, do you, you think know. That, do you think that it's on the same spectrum of like, we talk a lot like this in women's health, right? It's like, you're always like going crazy or, you know, now it's like you have period brain. But I've definitely heard like people say like, I have mommy brain. And I always wonder, like, is that a thing? You know, like, is this... And obviously, like, I only ever hear women talk like this. I don't have any particular insight except for the fact that, like, we have this, like, weirdo gendered language around things that ail us. Yeah. I mean, let me hit you with the science. So a study published in Frontiers in Behavioral Neuroscience essentially says... They examined three aspects of cognition across two menstrual cycles and found that the levels of estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone in your system have no impact on your working memory, cognitive bias, or ability to pay attention to two things at once. So basically, like, yes, hormones are real. And if you're a person who has a period, like hormones change. But according to science, it does not change your cognition or your brain. So all of the weird stuff that like you say actually like is not true. 
Wait, so, okay, what do you mean the weird stuff that you say? I don't know. I, like, I notice, like, a different kind of language around these kinds of ailments, right? It's the same thing with women who are convinced, you know, that, like, they know exactly when they're being hormonal. I'm not a doctor, and also, like, I'm very tired, so maybe, maybe I'm completely making this up. But I just feel like there is this sense of, like, like, this sixth sense about, like, body intuition that people sometimes have, but it's funny because... It's always, it's like things that are unknowable. You know what I mean? Where you're well, like, oh, like here, here's what's going on with my body. Or I like didn't eat wheat today and like I'm already feeling it. And I'm like, are you feeling it? Or like, have you a test that confirmed this? Yeah, of course. I mean, and I think that the other, the other caveat in this study is that obviously bodies are different. And this is like one small sample of people and people with like, you know, different types of hormones or, or perhaps like a hormone disorder or other like menstrual-ish, like could experience things differently. So like, it's totally possible that while the norm, according to this study, is no cognitive difference if you're on your period, that doesn't have to necessarily, that is, is not true for everyone. So, but you're right. Like this idea too of physical distraction being something that does affect you know, your level of concentration. Like, I think, like, that's definitely real for me. Even if it's not, like, my brain is at a disadvantage, I'm like, oh, like, I'm distracted by, you know, physical discomfort, for example. Exactly. It's real. Or, like, not wanting to bleed on things. (laughs) Um, Yeah. No. (laughs) A thing I set out to do every month and a thing I fail at every single month. Wouldn't that be amazing if it were like like a like a competitive menstruation, see how many surfaces you can bleed on? Like you're like, oh my friend was here first. Like like she, I, I didn't I didn't get to bleed on this chair first. Like, oh this lady on the bus got beat me to it. <laughs> I know. As long as you keep like a good bottle of peroxide in your house, everything is fine. Oh my God, yeah, you changed my you totally changed my life on this. I had no idea that peroxide was like a thing that broke down blood. Yeah, that's the that's the blood cleaner. I know this because I bleed on everything yeah it's like really distracting it's like don't bleach it peroxide it and then that gets rid of the blood this is why women are really good at murder i'm telling yeah, you we I was know gonna say, we know useful tip for all of your non-white collar crimes exactly <laughs> it's like uh we know how to get rid of blood and bodies oh my god you want to give me an update from around the world okay i have a posi update from scotland <laughs> um, it has become the first nation to give free access to sanitary products to all of its citizens. Free 99? Free dot nine nine. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, it's a pilot program right now, like a six-month rollout, but they're going to use it to make the case for future government policies on providing sanitary products. And um, it's specifically run out of a poverty prevention and social enterprise charity. So it's like this idea of okay, like if we look at the way that health and gender and income all intersect, maybe this would be a good policy to pursue. That's really cool. That's my like this week in menstruation news, which I don't know if it's, I guess you asked for light. So I guess it's sort of light light flow of news there. (laughs) Light flow of news there. You know, like, this is not light and actually is really sad, but, you know, like, we've been we've been talking a lot about, like, kind of obituaries and, and that stuff. One obituary that really made me pause this week was for is for this woman named Michi Monroe, who was who was a natural hair beauty star. And she is the reason I wear my hair naturally. I'm pretty sure where, like, really early on when I was like, I'm tired of relaxing my hair. How do you do this thing? I did a Google. She was one of the like most prominent people and she had this YouTube channel and she was always like really fun and relaxed and seemed like somebody who could be your friend. And she died of brain cancer this week. It's the first time I think that somebody like that is contemporary to me, like online has died. And it really it like made me pause and I got really, really upset. I had never met her. She always felt like a friend to me. It's been also just really interesting to see this news get picked up outside of like natural beauty hair and people because of the cultural impact that she's had. 
Bim Adewumi wrote this like beautiful remembrance of her on BuzzFeed. There was like an actual obituary in the New York Times. I don't know, like it's been really, really, really hard to process. And just she was just 32. She was beautiful and she was really generous and like wonderful with her time. And she is she propelled like the natural hair beauty movement like forward. And for like black women, that means that means so much more than hair. I think you and I have talked about this before, like kind of this how people react around like celebrity death online always is like it's very interesting and weird. And there's no um, there's no like good and bad way to grieve, you know, but these like really public displays of grief are something that are really intensified because of the Internet. For me, like this was the first time that this hit home in this really hard way. Well, and there's also something where I think that um public figures like her who are who are very very important but still like don't meet the standard for like celebrity in the like photograph by the paparazzi on the cover of mm. magazines sense but like are very well known by like a lot of people and very beloved even though they're not known personally like there is something different both about that relationship but also the idea of losing someone like that being more like losing a friend than it is like mourning a public figure like you know, Prince or something. And yeah, I read that piece of Bims and and she talks about that a little bit, like different types of mourning for people who you didn't actually know, but who affected you really, really deeply. Yeah, it's just, it's hard. It's hard and it's sad. And um, I'm really sorry for her family. Yeah. Do you want me to hit you real quick with a, with a slightly less sad obit? Mm-hmm. Um, and I only say less sad because the the woman in question died at age 101. And I'm like, okay, well, like, you know, there's, there is something about a, lo- the, a long life well lived. Exactly. Exactly. Like, I'm sure I'm sure her loved ones are still sad about it. But so the open is for this woman, Frances Gabe. She was an inventor. She's from Oregon. And she made her name by inventing a self-cleaning house. Essentially, like what? there were, I know, like a sprinkler system and like these floors that were perfectly angled for drainage. And you could like press a button, and essentially the whole house would wash, rinse, and dry itself at the touch of a button. Yeah, that's so amazing. She, she filed for a patent for it in 1984. It sounds like, you know, like reading this obit that she got some press attention in the 80s for this, but like in the way that a lot of public figures who are not white men don't really like make it into the zeitgeist long term. It's like I had never heard of her until I read the obit. And there are so many delightful things in this about how she was basically an iconoclast and difficult and kept a cement mixer in her front yard. And like when I read this, I was just like, I'm so I am sad, obviously, that I did not know about her in life. But like this is what I want obits to do for me is to be like, this is a woman you could really like model yourself after inventor of the self-cleaning home. <laughs> God, what what would the world look like if the visions that these women had for the world were like now so fully mainstream that they were recognized? What if we all like totally loved and embraced natural hair for everybody and we all like lived in self-cleaning homes <laughs> and like, you know what I mean? Like the, the posi future that like they present. Seriously, this makes me so, it just... Also, one, the pictures in this obituary are amazing. Like, she just looks so boss doing this. But two, you know, it just, it also just, like, reminds me about how so many, like, women's arts are relegated to just that and not thinking about the fact that, like, it this is, like, real, this is, like, real deal STEM. You know what I mean? This is a woman who is, like, she's a fucking inventor. Totally. And, like, making, like, practical ass shit. But she looks so boss in all these photos. The dresses are doing it for me. The glasses are doing it for me. And again, like just this like continuing theme of finding out like about women's accomplishments through obituaries is something that I I am both like embarrassed by and also like I really I want this to change. And there's also a part of it, too, where I think 
I think obituaries have always been about saying this is the impact someone had on people who were known to them directly and we're going to like make that impact known to the wider world. I mean, I'm someone who did not follow Michi Monroe because the beauty tips that she was offering or like the her like lens on the world is like, you know, like it missed me because I was like, I didn't, I miss me. I don't know why. Probably because I'm white. But I also like, like reading some of the remembrances of her. It's like, oh, wow. Like, you know, part of the function of an obituary is to say like, here, this person's life was really impactful, even if it didn't impact yours. And like, let's recognize that. And I think the same is true of this, like, in a really different way, obviously, of this inventor lady. It's like, look, like, here is someone who was like, challenging some basic assumptions about the way we live and the way we create home spaces, you know? Um, so, a preach. A preach. You know, this week has been like particularly triggering for women who are sexual assault survivors. And I'm thinking a lot about this new R. Kelly story and revelation that has come out. And it, I don't have any other word except for how upsetting it has been for me to just see him continuously just thrive in his career and face zero consequences for what he's done. So to just to get everybody on the same page, BuzzFeed released this kind of bombshell story this week by Jim Dargadis, a rock critic and an investigative reporter, and is really the person who has been writing about R. Kelly for 20 years now. And every just has been chronicling like all of the bad things that he has done. He was the person, for example, who he got the tip about the tape, you're probably familiar with that, assaulting someone who is probably underage in that video, that went to trial. And uh, during the trial, the, the, the jury was not allowed to hear a lot of evidence about him, specifically his like marriage with Aaliyah when she was 15 and other like really incriminating things. And so he was acquitted. And a couple of years ago, the same reporter wrote again, has just been like chronicling this with a really intense body of evidence, right? Like this is not something that is like just based on rumors and people are saying it is like actual hard evidence and testimony of people who have been around. But for some reason, R. Kelly is not a pariah in the music industry and we are all implicated. It's like thinking about him performing on Jimmy Fallon on Christmas week last year, that is so mainstream and so crazy. Lady Gaga, who is somebody who has fashioned herself as an anti-rape advocate and does so much work for women who are assaulted, has performed a song with him and did a performance, honestly, that was, again, like, very upsetting where she's, like, pretending to, like, go down on him in this, like, Monica Lewinsky, like, Bill Clinton-type scenario in a performance that they did. Like, it's Ugh. so awful. Ugh. And just, this man has just, like, faced no consequences. You know, like, I can think, even in my own, like, friend circle, about, like, three recent weddings that I've gone to where we have, like, definitely played and danced to our Kelly songs. And so... This whole thing is crazy. The new allegations that have come out is that he is holding these young girls, none of them are underage, to be clear, as hostages in his as hostages in his home. And so their families have all come out. They're very upset. Apparently, like there's some sort of investigation underway. But this whole thing is mind-boggling to me. That here is a person that is like clearly done like things that are despicable and wrong. Like there is no doubt about it. And he just like he has faced no consequences. His like business is fine. His money is on the up and up. He's like still seen as a cultural icon. 
to me, like it, it's this is like the exact reason that women don't report assault because they're like you never see the consequences, and there's such a sharp personal price to pay, and you get re-victimized again in public, and the person who is the one who should face consequences is thriving and alive. Yeah, I mean, and and I when I read this, and you're right, like Jim DeRogatis has been on this beat, I think we can safely call it a beat, like trying to like get the world to wake up to the fact that this man is a predator. He's been on this beat for a really long time. And, um, you know, this is not the first investigation, as you say, that's come out about him. And I just keep thinking like, what does it take to get this stuff to stick? How many dozens of women had to come forward about Bill Cosby and put their names on the line, all of them, in order, you know, like the volume has to be so, so intense. And even then, you know, like even then, justice in some sort of legal or externalized or like way you can demonstrate that actually hurts the the livelihoods and the reputations of these men is so depressingly hard to come by. I mean, like... Yeah. You know, everything. It's like seeing, like, you know, who continues to work with Woody Allen. Or, like, I was reading about this, the particular situation described in this new this new piece of reporting about R. Kelly, which is basically, like, I mean, they, they use the word sort of, like, cult-like. But essentially, like, him being super, super controlling with a number of very young women who come from pretty shaky circumstances. And someone was pointing out that, Corey Feldman, like the the 80s child actor, has his own kind of like situation like this, which he refers mm-hmm. to as Corey's Angels. Um, yeah. Women who, who we can link to the Q&A with him, but basically like, you know, like women who are very young and in really dire economic situations, like often without like a stable living situation and just being straight up predatory. And like the the idea that like, oh, you know, you've just turned 18, so so it's legal, is a thing that I have been thinking about a lot, right? Like this idea that because we have, we've defined an age of consent, like consent laws are so, so like complicated, right? Like trying to put into legal terms the ins and outs of sexual consent. Like having agency exactly. over the kinds of like sexual relationships that you're comfortable with. One of the reactions that I saw online that was, again, like so upsetting to me, was people saying, like, oh, like, how is this different from a classic, like, sub-dom, like, BDSM relationship? And I was like, actually, like, this is fucked up on so many levels because there's nothing wrong with BDSM, like, a healthy BDSM, like, sex life. One, perverting that in this case, like, it's, like, it's hurtful to everybody and the ways that, like, the many different ways that we have sex. And also, like, The main difference between that and this is that people in like BDSM relationships should be consenting adults who are having, who like all have the, like the agency to engage in the kind of sexual lives that they want. And it's not wrapped up into this like very neat power struggle where R. Kelly is a powerful musician and these young girls are people who need his patronage to further their careers. One thing that was so mind-blowing to me in this is hearing that some of the parents were very aware of all of the allegations against R. Kelly and they were yes. still like, "Oh, like I'll protect my daughter, like I'll be there." And at first like I was I was very angry at those parents because like how could you like how 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 could you do that? But we are attracted to powerful people in a way that like makes a, yeah, it's like talk about, um, talk about like when your brain is not set right. Like I think that there is such a thing as like a being around powerful people brain where nobody thinks nobody's thinking in their right minds. And also like, it's not lost on me that all of these girls are black, you know, they're just like young Mm -hmm. black girls and how much more different this would be if like one of the girls that R. Kelly was accused of, of um, of doing this with was white, you know, and how the public outcry would be different and how the probably like the investigation would be different and how the conversation around it would be different as well. I think a lot about like Kesha's situation with Dr. Luke, which is like equally fucked up and completely unacceptable. And I'm so happy she is making music again. Uh, the new album looks lit. But, you know, like thinking in in all of the ways that like she was able to like garner sympathy and there was like a kind of an uprise of people just like putting their foot down 
and saying like what she's going through is not okay, even though like artists are still working with Dr. Luke and fuck Dr. Luke. Just thinking about like the different ways that women can be rescued and how much it is to your advantage and to be a white woman in that circumstance is so, it is like equally fucked up. No, totally. And I think that there is on some level, some of it is prominence, right? Like, you know, like Kesha is a household name, whereas like these women who are hoping R. Kelly is going to help them with their career and end up getting stuck in something much, much worse are like, are not names that are known yet. Like race is totally a major, major factor. But when you look at the, there's a, there's a timeline which we can link to of all of the charges against him. Some of them, you know, with like video evidence, some of them with like testimony on the record. This goes all the way back to 1994. And the fact that like, it's not a taboo to like, as you pointed out, play his music at your wedding or collaborate with him, even when you want to be known as an advocate for survivors of assault. What does it take? Like, seriously, what does it take? Yeah, it's just so, like, it's so crazy. And if you're listening to this and this, like, conversation is hard for you, like, we are sorry. We believe you and we trust you. And just, I just, I think so much about this. Like, in all of the ways that you put yourself out there to, you know, and you make yourself vulnerable and, like, as, you know, like, victims of assault. And then to see, to see that, like, you can go through all of that on many different levels and just get re-victimized again. And the people who perpetrate these things against you, like, there there are no consequences for them. It's, like, that's what will, like, ultimately drive me crazy. It is, it's so maddening. Yeah, and I, and I just, I keep wondering, too, like, I mean, obviously all of us as consumers can choose not to consume his music or can choose to, like, you know, right, actually... You don't have you don't have to make that choice if like the people if the industry that he's in like doesn't make his music. Well, and that's what I was going to say. It's like there's power. There's only there is definitely power that you have as a consumer or that like those of us who do believe survivors and like do want to stand in solidarity with them. Like there are things that like we can do, but like ultimately there are people who profit from him continuing to not be held accountable for this, like directly profit from it. Those are the people, I'm like, how do we also target them, right? Like, it's not necessarily, these articles all kind of go into detail about why the courts have, have failed, frankly. The, the courts have failed. And so the question is then, how is there accountability for the people producing and profiting from him continuing to work? Like, that's, that's the question that I'm sort of thinking about now. Yeah, and even like this question of like, can you separate the art from the artist or whatever? It's like, like, we're all critical thinkers here, and we're not stupid. Everything is, like, borderline problematic. I, I have enjoyed the body of work of Woody Allen, even though, like, he is a fucked up, like, despicable human being. And, but I do think that there is a difference between, like, work that is already out there before you know, like, kind of what the deal is, and people who are enabled to, like, keep continuing to do this stuff. Putting the burdens on consumers all the time is the very convenient way that an industry gets away with like not examining their own fucked up practices. Totally. Like, they're like, well, people are still buying it. Must not be that big of a problem. Right. I mean, and it's like, well, actually you're putting it out, but also like, no, fuck you. Like sometimes you do not have to separate the art from the artist. R. Kelly's art is like, is the way that he like brags about his crimes. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think about the album that he made and produced for Aaliyah that made her famous AJ nothing but a number and he he was 15 are you kidding me like that is a slap in the face you know and and just thinking about the fact that he knows that he can get away with this because he has like legal help and he's obviously preying on people who depend on him who uh you know like who they like they essentially like need him for their careers and just the way that he's so manipulative and abusive towards them like i'm sorry that is something that like no i will not separate the art from this artist and uh and it is crazy to ask anybody to and you know like and and it has to stop there are always these like very convenient like shorthand like kind of pushbacks that people give and all they do is like is basically imply that you should be cool with art, art for art's sake. And it's like, actually, like, if you are a smart, like, art critic, like, you know that that is not how you judge art. It's like, I'm sorry. The artist relationship, like, obviously comes into play. 
And also, like, your money, you fucking spend it how you want. Your attention, you fucking give it how you want. And you don't have to, like, give your money and time to rapists. That's nuts. Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been reading Sarah Ahmed's Living a Feminist Life, which I highly recommend. But she has an extended part of that about the kind of critical feminist on-off switch. And, like, the idea that it's kind of like I find it to be a more useful way of talking about what is sometimes called wokeness on the internet. Once you are aware of injustices in the world and the way they are perpetuated, so like in this case, the way that the system supports perpetrators and not survivors in like this very real and ongoing ways, you basically have to choose to turn that off. So like every time you are dancing to the song or like listening to one on Spotify or like buying does anyone buy albums anymore? I don't know. Whatever. Inviting inviting him to perform with you or like on your show, if you're in some position of power, you are actively off switching. You are making a choice that you're like going to ignore. And like thinking about that too as not just a passive, oh, I'm just consuming things in the culture as they like slide by me, but like I'm making an active on-off choice, whether to listen to my beliefs or whether to like, you know, push them down, I think has been pretty helpful for me when I think about things like this. Oh, this is, it's just like, it's made me so angry, but mostly I'm angry because I feel that like, this is also going to get swept under the rug. And two years from now, we're going to hear another story, you know? And it's like, and it's like, what does it take? Like, does it take somebody dying? Does it take somebody like, um, harming themselves? What does it take for, for us as a society to stop giving these people passes? Cause he's already wealthy. He's made all his money. He's an acclaimed artist. Like, what does it take to make him, like, fucking stop this kind of behavior? Yeah. And what does it take for us to sort of quash the narrative that when survivors come forward to accuse someone powerful, that it's somehow an active choice for them to, like, pursue this man's money or his prestige? I mean, it's it's truly a last resort. If someone is going to the media to talk about something as painful and personal as this, it's because all other areas have failed them, you know? Like... Jim DeRogatis did an interview with Slate where they were asking him about how he got the stories of these young women. And he said about their families, they had gone to lawyers and they had not gotten any help. They came to the media as a sort of last resort. And I think that once you realize that like no one, given the way the system is set up, is actively like excited to have to pursue something like this in the public eye and like, you know, recognize the absolute fortitude it takes to do that anyway on behalf of like other people who will probably be victimized in the future I just don't know how you can continue to support the person in power like how how can you how can you flip that switch to off you know yeah it's crazy it's just you know like I keep saying this but I'm like never in the history of mankind has like a woman gotten ahead in any way shape or form by accusing someone of assaulting her. Like, it's never, it has never happened. All it does is ruin careers. Totally. You know, and um, it just, it, and just this belief that women are, you know, that it's like a kind of power that we wield and that the minute you accuse someone, like, everything goes your way is a meme that honestly needs to die because it's not true. It has, it has never, 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 never been true. It's like, look at all of the women who have come out against Bill Cosby. And there's a, there is a swell of them. You know, like, there, like the dozens and dozens and dozens of women of all ages who have, you know, like who've come out of their like private lives to like deal with something really painful, who don't want anything except for justice. And to see the way that like they have been treated, it's kind of a small miracle that women still come forward at all. I know. True heroes massive self-sacrifice. It's really interesting. I was thinking the other day about how narratives of PTSD in popular culture are so tied to veterans and like physical conflict in places that are not the U.S., for example, when in fact like PTSD is most common among, you know, survivors of trauma that is more personal and like not in a war Mm -hmm. context. And similarly, when we're like true American heroes, I'm like, I'm sorry, like people who are doing the work to expose people like this are my true American heroes. True. Oh, I'm so angry. I'm so angry. This is making me so angry. I know. Um, Breathe. Okay. Also, you know, just a reminder, like, this is, like, after tough conversation like this, just do something nice for yourself. Yeah. 
100%. Because doing something nice for yourself, especially if this conversation is hitting you in a particularly real or difficult way, is an amazing feminist act. That's true. That's true. Creep He's a creep. Yeah. Don't keep it on the down low. Everybody else should know. Creep. Every generation has its challenges. Some would say that's the reason for its progress. It might start with a small act of kindness or a big idea that changes everything. It can come from the tiniest voice or the voice of a generation. Or it could come from me. I mean, not to. I am one of six change-making women featured in Eileen Fisher's Good Goes On campaign this spring. The campaign highlights women empowering women, the importance of sustainability, and the power of good design. Eileen started in 1984 with the idea that simple clothes can make life easier. And after spending a day on set wearing a super comfortable ultra-chic jumpsuit, I think she's really on to something. As a company, Eileen Fisher believes doing well by doing good, and that's reflected in the way their clothes are made. Timeless styles and quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and a more positive impact on the world. It was a real honor to be featured in this campaign and meet the other women making a difference in their community. I've been a longtime Eileen Fisher fan, so this was a dream come true for me. You can visit EileenFisher.com and use the offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off of your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com. Offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. I'm going to tell you about one other thing that is making me really angry this week. Please. I read this Washington Post news story by Sarah Kaplan about uh, women of color who face harassment and space science. And it made me, all over again, made me want to break the entire internet and the world. So this is a survey result from the Journal of Geophysical Research, Planets, And it talks about the environment that, like, the people who work in astronomy and planetary science, particularly women and women of color, like, the environments that they, and the consequences that they face. So this study is, this study is nuts. Almost 90% of the more than 400 participants in the survey said that they had witnessed sexist, racist, or otherwise disparaging remarks in their workplaces. Nearly 40% said that they had been verbally harassed and almost 1 in 10 had been physically harassed. Most non-white respondents said that they had seen their peers make racist comments and 22% said that they had heard such remarks from their supervisors. This does not make me feel awesome about living in space one day because we are taking our exact same fucked up behavior like with us into the future and this is not cool. Oh my God, 100%. You know, when I read this study too, I thought about the feelings I felt while watching Hidden Figures, which were in some ways like that that swell of like women triumphing feelings, but were mostly like, oh my God, how different is it really today kind of depression. Like these are numbers that I think in the popular imagination exist 60 years ago and not right now in real time. It's This is so upsetting to me. Also, what is up with astronomy? Every time I read like... Uh, like harassment, like a graduate student level, like type harassment studies. It's always in like an astronomy department somewhere, which is not cool. You know, I think too that it's just like, it's so interesting to me that as more and more women like are entering STEM, right? In this way, actually, that is really positive and powerful. Like there, there's so many more women in STEM now than we've ever had. The pipeline is like stronger and stronger, especially women of, in college studying these things just how that's kind of the ceiling, right? It's like the harassment is what pushes you out of the field. And and I think about like in how many ways like so many of these women probably like don't say anything because of how hard, not that like in any field you don't work hard, but I think that in fields that where women are particularly underrepresented, you have to do a kind of the mind work that it takes to like get to where you're going is 
talk about like rearranging how your brain works. You kind of have to do that. But also you feel like there's more at stake there. Just like getting there and how much you would not want to jeopardize like how hard you've worked to get to where you're at in your career by ever accusing anybody, especially your peers, especially your mentors or your professors in kind of, you know, like a scientific like inquiry environment because those relationships are so important. Totally. I mean, and I also wonder, I mean, like the the fact that we see this across STEM professions. It's interesting because I always want to know a little bit more, like you say, like noticing this in astronomy or wherever. Is it different? You know, like what makes these spaces different other than they have been traditionally inhabited by a lot of men? Like, is there anything, there is like a part of me that wants to logically approach something that is actually not logical at all. You know what I mean? Like I'm like searching for a thing that it feels solvable other than centuries of ingrained racism and sexism. I, yeah. I I want there to be a solution. And I think that's why it's so important to talk about this stuff. I think about how isolating it must feel when you are like kind of the only woman of color or you are the only like one of the very few women in your cohort, whatever that is. And nobody wants to be known as like, you're the black woman that's going to space or you are, you know, like you are the woman in the math department. No, like you're fucking like you're a mathematician. You are, uh, you're an astronaut. Like you, you don't like the qualifiers about you because like one, they're bullshit. But to think about how like that is also a really easy way for people to take advantage of you and how isolating it must feel to not be able to just like bring your full self to work like every day but also you know but at the same time it's like yeah some of this like also it doesn't surprise me like in the same ways where all of the the respondents of color for example saying that all of the racist things that they had witnessed and you know that they like witness that in environments that have white women right and it's just this is the reason that like we one like have to stick together and we have to stand up to all forms of injustice because when somebody is, like, sexually harassing you if you're a white woman, like, is not crazy to imagine that, like, the kind of harassment that they would have for a woman of color would be along racial lines, right? It's like, it's why you got to nip this shit in the butt early because it is, it is always a slippery slope. Oh, completely. Completely. And it's like what we were saying about accountability. It's like recognizing what power you have and thinking about, like, how are you actually enabling, enabling this behavior? This is related but different. Did you see the articles about people who are suggesting creating a blacklist for venture capitalists who are sexual harassers? Did you see this? Oh, my God. I saw it. Explain to the people what it is. This is... Ugh. Well, I can't recall. I don't think we've discussed it like in, in depth lately, but there have been a few prominent men in the kind of like tech funding startup world who were recently, I don't want to say accused because I, some of them have then said like, yeah, I did it. Um, but anyway, but who, who, were, who were called like, whose out. Whose harassment was brought to light. <laughs> yes, there you go. Thank you. Whose harassment was brought to light by... By friend of the podcast, Katie Benner. Hi, Katie. Totally. And by, and by some very, again, brave women who decided to make private chats or correspondence from these guys public to say, look, like when I tried to go find funding for my business... I was, the response I got was to be asked for a date or with like a comment about my looks as opposed to um, a yes or no on the funding question I asked them. Horrible. And and so anyway, so this has prompted sometimes public soul-searching medium posts from men who were accused slash called out. In other, in other cases, this is like one of many situations, I feel, where people are like, oh, really? Oh, there's harassment? Oh, okay, lots of news about that now. As or if like there's that like that person would never do that, you know? Again, like in a very collegial environment, right? It's like VC and tech is a really small world. A lot of it depends on your reputation and how you meet people. And to me, the story there really is that like, it's not monsters that perpetrate harassment. It's just the regular men in our lives. Like nobody is above harassing someone just because like one man is good to you and has helped your startup and your career doesn't mean that he can't take advantage of somebody else. Right. And there are a few organizations. One group of women founded a group called Better Brave that is an online sort of like space for women who were sexually harassed at work. 
There's another group of female entrepreneurs called SheWorks who are putting together an online database where women and others can report unethical behavior. But I don't know, like this, this fundamental idea of like a blacklist, which is not the word that, you know, the organizers are using or it's not the word they want to use. But I, I sort of question whether that will be widely adopted and taken seriously enough to make a difference. Like, I think that the thing that makes a difference in a case like this is, A, believing women, in particular women of color. Like, if you read this original story about who's making these accusations, it's like, who who do men feel like they can get away with harassing? Like, interestingly, like, people who have been traditionally shut out of, like, corridors of power in industries like this, right? But I do wonder whether an, an anonymous database for reporting harassment is going to have the effect broadly that like that we really want to see which is like there being no excuse for this and it not continuing personally like i don't know how effective it'll be because it always comes on it always comes on the heels of like we're gonna take a pledge that we're not gonna harass women and i'm like no instead of pledging you should fucking just hire more women like maybe if there wasn't like one woman for 100 men here it, it would get into their lizard brains that like the woman here is not here because she's like wants to date them it's because she wants to fucking get her money and like do her job like everybody else here right you know and just thinking about how just it's the fact that people don't realize how offensive it is just on a very basic professional level that has nothing to do with gender or race that you would question like somebody else's motivation and hustle in the ways that we that we do question like women and women of color in particular, like our hustle for wanting to be there. It's just to me, the solution to all of this is that like this is why representation matters. This is literally why. If you see so few women in your industry that you think that the ones that are there are so that you could sleep with them at like tech conferences, then like that's the problem. Yeah, completely. And like, and also the idea that if you don't even consider propositioning one of these women to be demeaning their hustle or like demeaning their like work ideas or their business plan or any of that, then like that is also a part of the problem. So I don't know. I mean, this has come up. I know we've talked about creepy slash harassing dudes in media before and how they are allowed to kind of continue doing what they do because people who know what's up won't name names. And it gets really tricky, right? Because the idea of especially when you're someone who wasn't harassed directly. Like, say I know the name of someone who has harassed three women I know, but that's not my story to tell. Like, figuring out how to, you know... Right, like how the reporting for that works. Right, or how, yeah, or how to marginalize that person without putting those women who have experienced the harassment in the line of fire, essentially. Right, because it's not just their problem. It's literally everybody's problem. It's like if you work, for example, at a venture capital fund where it comes out that one of your partners is harassing people, that has repercussions beyond just the woman who is, like, accusing that person. It's interesting to see, like, in the Silicon Valley examples, like, one of the funds might be shutting down. And a lot of people were really upset about that. They were like, how come when just because this person did that, it means that my company won't be funded? And it's like, sorry, boo-boo, like... This is how it works. And also, it's not the fault of the women who have uh, who have brought the allegations forward. It's the fault of the person who was doing the harassing. Right. And that, like, that should be a direct consequence of, like, everybody's actions. And that's why it's important to, like, nip this kind of stuff in the butt. I think that for as much as we all make fun of the, like, shitty 90s, like, HR videos about what sexual harassment is, a lot of people still kind of don't know what sexual harassment is. And this is not to like get these men off of the hook. It's just saying that like in general, a lot of people, people will feel queasy a behavior that they don't recognize as classic textbook sexual harassment. Right. And that I think that often extends to people who are like victims of it. Like that's part of it too. Yeah. They're like, what did I do? Is this normal? Is this okay? And it's like, no, there's like a real word for this and like real life consequences for this. Like you didn't do anything wrong. This kind of behavior is not okay. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Uh, Ban, ban all of the harassing men. I know. Um, But I send them to space. Yeah, send them to space where they'll harass more people, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, where they can harass each other, space jail. Oh, the dream, right? Like a space colony where all the harassers are sent to just like, you know, make each other feel uncomfortable. Seriously, <laughs> when I'm king, like if you're like uh, accused of harassment, like you get to be one of the, you get to be the test people that we send to see if we can live on Mars. 
You know, this is why Alien 3 is my favorite alien movie because <laughs> it's like it's like the the space penal colony. Like I just picture it full of like the 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 worst men on planet Earth just like up there in a rocket ship like sorry you had to land there Ripley, but like really Yeah, it's going to take you 10 years to get there if you make it. I guess good luck and if you don't make it, we know we can't go yet. So, uh see you soon. See you never. (laughs) (laughs) See you bye. (laughs) Just awful. Just awful. Can I leave you with one bit of good news, though? Yes. Well, not good news, but something that you should do for yourself. God, Uh, yes. You should 100% go see Girls Trip. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. It's just like, finally, I'm like, there's a Black woman, like, Girls Trip movie, and it's fucking incredible. It's it's done really well. All the women in it are really really great. Doreen St. Felix wrote, like, an incredible review of it for The New Yorker. Why you need more Black female critics. So go see the movie, then read Doreen's piece. But the, one of the things that I love the most about it is that the director was, uh, I think it was a Hollywood Reporter interview where they asked him about like, you know, like, what do you hope for the movie or like for women or whatever to get Girl Strip? And he was like, I just want to prove to the industry that four black women can open a movie and it does not have to be about the space program. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, yes. thank you, sir. Like, I fucking <laughs> loved Hidden Figures. Like, I full on like ugly cried the whole time. I will watch it and watch it and watch it again. But it's true that like, you know, like black lady movies, like we don't get to be silly and to have fun. You always have to be like solving math problems or doing all these things in the realm of respectability for white people to feel that they can identify with you. Or like the strings swell and you're there to provide inspiration about how like we've come so far or like something like that. Exactly. Yeah. And there's never the just like, we just want to be raunchy and funny and hilarious like everybody else. This movie is like so, it's just, it's so well done. Like it's a, it's a good lady movie, like period, which is why you should go see it. It also like, if you're somebody who like, that's important to you to go see movies like where there are women, like this is one that you should see. But I think too that thinking about like what makes an African-American movie mainstream really like that line lies in your own head. It's like everything that black people do is mainstream. Like we, you just get to decide whether you think it's like a cultural, it's like a culturally specific thing or whether it's real. But Mm -hmm. um, this movie is great from like beginning to end more movies like this. There's been so many efforts to do like the R rated, like lady comedy. And I feel that a lot of times like it has fallen short. I will not name names here, but uh, this one is excellent and you should really see it. Uh. Yes. I also think, too, that after everything we just talked about today, I'm like, yes, I do want to see a group of, like, Black women just having a good time and marveling at, like, the penises near them or, like, getting too, getting, like, getting too drunk or, like, doing whatever you are not allowed to do when you're thinking about big, heavy, oppressive shit that underlines totally. so much of what's going on. Yes. Go see Regina Hall, Queen Latifah, Jada Pinkett Smith, and Tiffany Haddish, who is, like, a fucking dream and a revelation in this just like make you laugh for almost two hours and it's a great way to cap off your weekend amazing is that it are we done i feel like we talked for an hour that's it i'm gonna see you on the internet boo boo i love you i hope you take care of yourself do something nice for yourself today see you on the internet i'm gonna text you after i walk out of girls trip (laughs) yes you can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. Download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on Apple Podcasts, where we would love it if you left us a review. You can tweet at us at callyrgf or email us callyrgf at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, look that up yourself, or on Instagram at callyrgf. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All other music you heard today was composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. And this podcast is produced by the beautiful Gina Delbeck. <laughs> <laughs>